Welcome to A Brighter Day in the Neighborhood with your host, Angela Jones. Presented by Brighter Day Law, listen to the stories of the people who make Colorado Springs a great place to live and make our world better every day. We want to give back to those who give so much to us. Welcome to another Brighter Day in the Neighborhood. This is your host, Angela Jones, um, and our program is sponsored by Brighter Day Law. Today we have another installment of Brighter Day staff in the neighborhood. Um, It's a special treat um, for us to be able to come and um, interview or spend time with one of our own. Today we have uh, attorney Jason Hilton. Thanks for joining us, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, I always feel a little funny about like, you know, having you guys come in. And it was like... And the introduction. It, you being voluntold. <laughs> Guess what, Jason? It's your turn. Yep. And you're like, no, I heard. I heard about Shelly coming in and she's saying... That's true. There is no way I'm following that act. <laughs> I think I ended up having to, right? I'm the next staff member to uh, come I, in after I, the singing. I think Shelley. you might be, but you're, you're ahead of Yale, so that's good that's also good yeah no no, no crowning achievement of that nature to go over so so we spent some uh we spent some time earlier today um just kind of you know um kicking some stuff around i thought it was pretty funny when um you and i were were chatting and i i knew this but i hadn't really focused in on um the fact that you're about the age of my oldest son I am, yep. Yep. 31 but, in 30. May. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got a great deal of experience um, as a trial litigator, right? I do, yeah. So I started, uh, I actually started my career having nothing to do with litigation. Mm. I did in house counsel for a telemedicine company doing some regulatory work. Found I didn't find that very appealing. Mm. And so then I ended up taking a job up at the 13th Judicial District Attorney's Office, which is in northeastern Colorado. It's kind of the seven north, most north, northeastern uh, counties in Colorado. Mm-hmm. So I was there for close to three years or so. And then I came down to the 4th Judicial District Attorney's Office, and I was there until I joined uh, Brighter Day Law in April of this year. And so that was all criminal. Uh, yeah prosecution right it was yep 100 percent of it was criminal prosecution so i started as a county court prosecutor in logan county so handling misdemeanors and traffic offenses mm-hmm. up there you handle everything you're just mm-hmm. kind of by yourself and you've got one county that eventually expanded to where i was prosecuting all the county court cases for logan county and then washington county mm-hmm. and then about 10 or so months uh, after doing that, I got promoted. I was doing the district court prosecution for Morgan County, which is the most populous county up mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up moving offices back to the Sterling office up there because it's set up with two different offices, one based in Fort Morgan, one based in Sterling. I moved back to the Sterling office and I picked up about six of the counties. So I had a mix of district court prosecutions, so your felonies, uh, everything from sexual assaults down mm. to your your criminal impersonations as well as everybody up there is expected to keep at least one county court docket just because it kind of lightens the the tension to it and it's somewhat relaxing to go into a docket and just be handling speeding tickets versus anything heavier than that so right. i still kept that for phillips and yuma county 
and and that was before you moved down to El Paso and Teller. Yep. So when I moved down to El Paso and Teller, they want everybody to restart in county court, just because that was kind of the uh, facility facilitating mm-hmm. thought process. Unless you're coming over from a true leadership position, so a chief, senior, something like right. that. And so I started in county court down there. I was in county court for ooh, three months, and then I got promoted to essentially be a county court floater. And that's someone who isn't really a supervisory position, at least the the district attorney's office doesn't consider it a direct supervisory, mm-hmm. but you kind of oversee the line deputies and you're, you're helping train them more specifically uh, to be better prosecutors. And a lot of your county court deputies come in fresh out of law school or have very little uh, prosecution experience. And so they expect some of the more senior ones to train the younger attorneys that come in. So I did that for just about a year, and then I moved to Division 7 in front of Judge Gilbert, mm-hmm. uh, which was back onto a felony prosecution docket. Uh, none of the more horrendous cases, those are typically handled via special units, but all your felony, basic drug felonies and up to your assaults, domestic violence, those kinds of things. So I handled that uh, from just about four or five months. It was relatively short, and then I took the job at Brighter Day. All right. And so how has that uh, that transition been from, you know, doing a great deal of criminal work to doing domestic relations work gone for you? So it it's certainly different. I, I enjoy the domestic relations aspect of it. It's nice to be dealing, I think you actually said it in our initial interview, to be dealing with people who are going through their worst time versus some of the worst people trying to act like they're behaving appropriately. (laughs) And so that's, that's been somewhat refreshing to go in and not have to read 25 pages of criminal history and try to figure out what am I going to do with this one case and this one drug offender. Um, So that's been nice. It's, it's been a struggle to deal with kind of the the changes and uh, the heightened, um, not necessarily emotions, but the Mm -hmm. heightened direct impact on somebody's life. So you Mm -hmm. have, as a prosecutor, you have a direct impact on the offender and then your victim. In certain cases, I don't want to say victimless crime because ultimately somebody usually ends up paying for mm-hmm. it. But in a criminal impersonation case where they're just pretending to be somebody who never existed, you really are only having an impact directly on that offender and mm-hmm. anybody that that offender may act upon mm-hmm. later on down the road versus domestic relations where you're having a direct impact on not only the parties, but also the children that might be involved in that. And that's been extremely refreshing to be able to be involved with that and and hopefully help people get to a point where their lives are going better after the process. And that was the reason um, you moved over from doing criminal work to, and you hand-selected coming to work in a family law firm, is that right? That's correct. So when my son was born, I was running into some issues with time and it was a situation where there's only so much of that stuff you can see and take before you start to take it home with you. And once you started to do that, you one, lose some of your effectiveness as a prosecutor because half of that is being impartial and making appropriate decisions based only on the facts and the individual you have in front of them and not Mm -hmm. necessarily reacting to what I think would be heinous at any point in time. Mm -hmm. And so when I kind of realized that's where I was at in my career and that's kind of what I was doing with the help of my wife of course mm-hmm. uh, I started to try to think about what other areas of law is going to be similar to being prosecution but not necessarily as deep into those weeds and that's when I kind of selected family law because it's still an avenue where I can help 
improve a client's life and I can help get them through a very difficult time for them, but it's not necessarily having to deal with this is a sexual assault that occurred, this is the horrible fallout that's occurred from it all the time. It's we're we're splitting up. Sometimes that can be for negative reasons, but we can hopefully get those individuals through that and into that better space. And so that was kind of what solidified my decision that I wanted to maybe do family law versus any of the other areas of law that I kind of looked at. Is that so is it fair to say that it was more that that the impact that positive impact that you could have or that contribution that you could have would be the same, but it would be, you know, by impacting families in a different way or like going through a different difficult scenario. Exactly. And, and some of those families, you know, as a prosecutor, you kind of come in and and you're an agent of essentially the state. And so you have priorities and issues that you have to look at beyond just necessarily what the victim wants. Sometimes it's a situation where those are in alignment, and Mm -hmm. obviously those cases are some of the better ones or less difficult to handle. But there are times where uh, an individual is going through something, and you know I can't always focus on what a victim wants, and that can be sometimes difficult when you're looking at it saying, I know you want me to drop this case, or you want me to do X, Y, and Z, or you feel he needs to go to prison for forever, he's going to do it again. Mm But I have to look at it and treat similarly situated people the same, and that's one of the constitutional mandates you take and one of the parts mm. of the oath that you take. And so it, it can be difficult when you're you're looking at a victim and going, I know you want this. I know there is a likelihood that this will happen to you again if I don't mm-hmm. take a significantly punitive step. But we've just done this with four other people, and I don't have, other than my fear that he'll do it again, I don't have the ability to go back and... Mm. and and really drop the hammer on it. And so it's a situation where that can be extremely difficult. And and at least in the family law context, you can really have a positive impact upon your client's life by advocating good positions Mm -hmm. that have legal foundations. And you, you can essentially take that and really advocate for that person who, you know, sometimes in the criminal process, they have advocates, they have all those kinds of things, but ultimately a, a criminal case is captioned, the people of the state of Colorado versus mm-hmm. defendant. Mm-hmm. And the victim has a critical role to play in that prosecution, and there's the Victims' Rights Act bill, and there's been a lot of expansion of that over the last 20 or so years, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily in the driver's seat you as right. the agent of the state is and sometimes that can be extremely difficult when you're dealing with somebody who's really gone through a negative experience and now you've even removed some of that authority over their own case away right. from them because they made a report right well and i keep hearing the word difficult come up and i'm gonna explore that a little bit more with you in just a second um you're listening to brighter day in the neighborhood with angela jones on kppf and our special guest here today is jason hilton so you know in i know it can be a little nerve-wracking to you know sort of be on the spot and talking about these things on a on a radio program or what have you um but you know i i'm i'm just you know in listening to you and also knowing you Mm -hmm. you know um I'm wondering, like, you know, when you're talking about it can just be difficult, it can be difficult. It seems almost like you're talking about that you've in many ways felt constrained, you know, or, or, or um, somehow 
and I don't mean inappropriately, but it was like because of the law itself, you know, um, it kept you from sometimes exercising some creativity or um, taking some initiative that you would have liked to have taken if it were only up to you. And and I think that's a good way of putting it is when you're working with a client directly, you, you do have that ability to mm-hmm. be creative and come up with a creative solution to a problem. When you're at a DA's office, there's a lot of policies that are set, and mm-hmm. that's obviously it's set appropriately. It's, it's done by the elected official who's responsible to the people, and that's why it's kind of created that way. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of situations where you take into account the facts of your case and kind of the unique histories and the unique impacts, but there's a lot of situations where you're very constrained. There's your mandatory minimum sentencing. There's Mm -hmm. mandatory maximum sentencing. And so you're in a situation where you're somewhat constrained in what your options are in front of you. You're typically looking at anything from Mm -hmm. probation to a prison sentence on a felony offense. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's some space in between it, but that's ultimately kind of your dichotomy. Mm -hmm. Do I want to do a community-based sentence or is it something that I feel like I need to remove this individual from the community in order to make the community more safe? And those types of things can be difficult when you're looking at a situation and you're going, you know, yes, he did a really bad thing, but it's the first time he was high on methamphetamine. I'm going to take that into consideration and now I'm going to do probation. Well, then you have somebody coming along that's reviewing the case or you, you, you're you going to talk to a victim who goes, but this is this horrible thing that he did to me. Mm-hmm. And so when you're constrained like that and you, you, you have a difficult time saying, well, these are my three options mm. and this is the one I'm going to go with because it is kind of the best fit, mm-hmm. even though there's really no... And it's very difficult in the criminal courts to structure a sentence to be truly both punitive and rehabilitative. Mm -hmm. And that's a very difficult thing to try to come up with. And so when you're you're trying to balance those things and you're kind of restricted in the avenues with Mm -hmm. which you can take, it it, it can be frustrating at times. And you you can feel like, well, I'm I'm trying really hard and this is what I would like to do, Mm -hmm. but there's just no outlet for that. And in the family law context, when you can come to an agreement between the parties and then the court is essentially saying, yes, I'm willing to accept that. I find that it's a legal agreement and those types of things. Mm -hmm. It's nice to have those options and that creativity to say, this is the best solution that we can come up with versus this one, it fits, but maybe not Mm -hmm. as perfectly as I would like it to. Well, I think it's interesting that, you know, one of the things we strive to do in the family law context is empower parties to come up with their own agreements that Mm -hmm. we've always, you know, um, because it is a family, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't approach it as, um, as adversarial per se, um, but rather, you know, this is, this is a new situation. And so how do we navigate from where we are to where you want to go um, in a way that is mutually agreeable to, you know, both parties, because many times, if you know, if not all the time, they're going to continue to be a family in some way, shape, way or shape. Um, and so that's that's really important. But, you know, I think it's interesting when you're talking about, you know, that balancing that that criminal prosecutors have, you know, between between trying to rehabilitate and, you know, trying to punish crime, you know, for, you know, in general, the idea would be, you know, any punishment is meant to deter future crime. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really, really tough. Like, and I don't think you know this, but um, when I 
came out of college, I was involved in a think tank that um, where we had to, you know, present, you know, a, a problem and some mm-hmm. initiatives to solve the problem. And our problem was over incarceration, mm-hmm. you know, like where we were over incarcerating people for felonies and creating societal problems for families in particular, because once you send a person into prison versus a community based program, mm-hmm. then you have an ex con. that you're trying to employ and then there's all the you know how do these how do people who are ex-convicts they're not employable they have a difficult time getting housing they can't pay child support in the meantime while they're incarcerated they're not paying child support Mm -hmm. and so it creates this trickle down to their children and to their spouses of you know not receiving support it deprives you know the community of sometimes business people who are owning business and employing other people and um and then when i first got to colorado springs um i volunteered with woodman valley chapel um helping them to place people coming out of prison um who were dealing with those very issues you know Mm -hmm. where they had gone you know and been incarcerated you know based on crimes that they in general had um admitted to um but then there was that whole struggle of you know transportation housing Mm -hmm. Um, employment, getting reintegrated with their children, starting to pay support, you know, et cetera. So it's um, it's very interesting. I had a, a professor in law school who always said, the law is a seamless web. <laughs> and so it's kind of, I, I don't know. I mean, I think for us, it's, um, I know a lot of people ask me, and I don't know if anyone's asked you, but, um, or ever asked you as a prosecutor, but like, I don't know how you do this family law work i would think i know i've heard criminal um defense attorneys ask i don't know how you could defend a criminal Mm -hmm. and i've i've heard variety of answers as to how come most of which is hey it's to protect all of our constitutional rights but have you heard that question i've i've heard it surprisingly more since i took the family law job than i did as a prosecutor <laughs> right i heard i heard it occasionally as a prosecutor where you know it's it's one of those situations where someone's saying well how can that's all you deal with is the worst of the mm-hmm. worst every day how can you deal with that and it's 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 just simply a misunderstanding of the thing it's it's not a situation where in a, in prosecution you're dealing with the worst of the worst every day right a good portion of the people that have contacts with the criminal justice system are somebody who made a simple mistake right. whether it's out of anger the, a poor judgment you know in the county court rules you'll be dealing with people who have traffic offenses mm-hmm. careless driving is one mm-hmm. of them you rear end somebody and now all of a sudden you're seeing a prosecutor right and so it's not that situation you're dealing with just normal citizens mm-hmm. and then every now and then you have somebody that is a chronic offender or a mm-hmm. repeat offender and you're 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 trying to take the appropriate steps mm-hmm. to make sure that they can't do that again Mm -hmm. in the family law context i've heard it more from anecdotally where people are saying oh that's just the worst all you're going to be dealing with is people fighting over everything and fighting over the kids and i don't know how you can do that every day and at least from my experience so far it's not about and i think it it's going to be very dependent upon the lawyer Mm -hmm. and the firm that the lawyer that works at. Mm -hmm. And so when you're in a situation and you're dealing with a family that's splitting up, yes, Mm. there's the potential that you can fight over every topic and you can fight over every small thing and every minute with the kids Mm -hmm. and you can essentially weaponize those. But I think part of the lawyer's job is to make sure that's not necessarily where that case ends up. 
And mm-hmm. I think when you're walking somebody through it and you're saying, this is an individual you're going to be dealing with for the remainder of your life, whether you want to or not, if there's a child involved, that's likely to be the situation you're going to find yourself. Right. So the idea that, you know, we should be essentially scorched earth tactics and let's just mm-hmm. burn it all down in order to get the other person. Mm-hmm. I think a, a lawyer's job and a role that the lawyer during the course of that proceeding should be to kind of explain how, well, that's not really in your best interest any more than it's in the best interest of your child. It doesn't help anybody. It just hurts everyone. And I think that's one of the major things that, you know, and that's one way that I think at least in the relatively short time I've been doing family law, that would be the explanation I would give to that that question about how do you do this is well because i do it to make that process better so it's not to that point right not just to get into the weeds and just fight 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 but to try to avoid and make that family at least in a position where they can work together parent together Mm -hmm. and and essentially live if not comfortably at least peacefully with Mm -hmm. one another yeah so we're not burning a house down with the kids in it or right you know, burning a house down so there's no house for anybody to live in. Right. You know, that type of a thing. And, and you know, by and large, I, and I think what you were referring to a little bit earlier was sort of this, uh, and I don't know that it's a joke per se, but, you know, well, they'll say that, you know, when you're dealing with criminal, you know, criminal clients, they're bad people on their best behavior. And with divorce clients, it's, you know, good people on their worst behavior because they're upset. They're Mm -hmm. going through, you know, even when it's for, you know, um, absolutely necessary reasons and Mm -hmm. and it's a move in a positive direction, um, it's a bad time, Mm -hmm. you know, for most people. And, you know, and, and there's a lot of fear around, you know, what, how are things, how are things going to shake out for me? How are things going to shake out for my kids? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that plays into um, those fears. And oftentimes, I mean, I know when I'm afraid, I, you know, am not acting most, my most rationally no. or, you know, um, kindly. I, I, would, I would agree with that. And one of the things that at least I've done a little bit is to, step back and think about, well, okay, if this was a situation I found myself in, which I hope to never do, but Mm. if it was a situation where I found myself in, look at all the tumultuous impact that this would have on my life and how would I process that? And would, I would not be able to honestly say I would be thinking entirely clearly about what would be the proper steps to make everything better there would be emotional tie-ins that i think would prevent me from being able to do that and just recognizing that that's what that person is going through i think it has at least helped me be able to kind of compartmentalize that and go yes I, i know you're very frustrated and i know this is something that is incredibly difficult for you but let's not burn the house down. Let's not even start the fire for that. Right. Let's just try to work through this and, and make it better at the other end. Put the matches away. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to pick up a lighter can. It'll be all right. So we were, uh, we had a, 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 a bit of like a, a team meeting the other day and one of the questions, uh, we had a facilitator and one of the questions we were asked, or she asked of everybody, um, was what is your superpower? And I uh, revisited that with you. You did, today. yes. So, yeah. So that one took me by surprise. I was not <laughs> quite ready for that in the middle of that particular type of team meeting. Um, but at least the the superpower I think is is the correct answer to give to that is 
I, I view myself as a very thoughtful person. I like mm. to be involved in people's lives, but I like to improve people's lives. And that's something that I, I like to do with that. And one of the ways that I feel like I bring that talent to bear is by essentially, I can usually come to terms with the, I think the landscape is how mm -hmm. we kind of described mm -hmm. it, of what's kind of happening in a relatively quick fashion. And then from there, what I like to do is make essentially a plan as to these are the concrete steps that we can take even if it's just one after the other mm -hmm. to get to the end goal which is always at least in my view going to be as amicable of a divorce as can possibly happen mm -hmm. with a focus that the kids will always be the center right. um, and what's in their best interest will hopefully always rise to the surface that's kind of what at least from what I've read all the law uh, focuses on and so that's kind of the the superpower I would bring to it is that I, I like to think through things and I, I usually can see the, the big picture relatively early on in a case mm -hmm. in order to identify those goals that need to be met mm -hmm. and those things that are, I, I want to argue with the other party because they're making statements about me that I don't feel are true, justified, and I can't mm -hmm. believe this person that I, I still love and I'm still attached to are, is saying that about me. Right. And so I think that's one of the things that at least I can bring to bear in terms of the superpower that she was referencing, um, at least for the firm and for our clients. Right. Now, and so it, we're, we're kind of running out of time and I had wanted to talk a little bit more about you and how you came to be a lawyer and maybe the next time I corner you. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we'll do that but you are a Colorado native I am a Colorado native I was born in Colorado Springs I grew up in Monument graduated mm -hmm. high school at Lewis Palmer in mm -hmm. 2008 so Wait, and you're married to I am married to um, my wife Leslie who also went to that high school right. we met in middle school actually who she also grew up in monument so it was about an eight minute drive from my parents house to her parents house <laughs> uh, i know because i made that drive quite often um but yeah so i've been in colorado my whole life except for the three years of law school that i did in virginia right and you guys have are buying in monument too. we are now. buying in monument You're as well down there. yep so both my family and leslie's family and extended family are all in Monument and Palmer Lake and so we felt it's just very beneficial for us to be close to family and I always liked it here. Um, part of my reason for going to law school in Virginia was to just experience some, some other, other areas place. and see if this is truly somewhere where I wanted to be. I went to Virginia, decided it was hot and humid, and, <laughs> and then I wanted to come back here. It is most definitely hot and humid in Virginia. It is, yep. <laughs> so my husband is from Virginia. Oh, okay. So my first initiation uh, to Virginia was in Newport News. Okay. And so that's a little breezier than most places it's in Virginia. a little Virginia. bit breezier, yep. It's, so. Uh, so I went to uh, law school at William and Mary, which is in Williamsburg, mm -hmm, so it's mm -hmm. right by Newport News. And That's right. It's a breezy area, but wow, it's it's hot, and I was not used to the humidity. <laughs> I remember the first week being out there, just always sweating and always just oppressively hot. <laughs> I thought, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make it through. <laughs> right. Well, we that's one thing we definitely have. Uh, well, my husband has in common with you. He has settled here in Colorado, <laughs> I think, for, for very similar reasons. We're not heading back to the <laughs> East Coast. But, um, yeah, our summers here in Colorado are the best. They are. It's really the best. I mean, I, I'm not a skier because I'm from... I'm from the southeast, so okay. to me, the summer is absolutely <laughs> the best time of year here in Colorado. I would tend to agree. I I used to ski when we were growing up, 
uh, we would go at least once a year and then that kind of tampered off as everybody got a little bit older and mm-hmm. had more activities that they were doing but i i'm a summer summer guy. summer guy yeah i i prefer the the warm weather to the cold and the snow all the time so yeah no extremes huh? <laughs> no no extremes i don't like either either side but in the middle is pretty good that's great well jason i really appreciate you um taking the time out of the day i know you've got a busy docket uh <laughs> because i assign you most of the things you do yeah <laughs> so i appreciate you taking the time out and uh, coming over and and you know sharing yourself with us here today of course thanks for having me This has been A Brighter Day in the Neighborhood, presented by Brighter Day Law. Heard every Sunday at 11 a.m. on KPPF, 98.5 FM, 1040 AM, and 95.7 FM. Listen to the companion podcast on Podbean. Brighter Day Law are an experienced and qualified team of divorce and family law attorneys. Their aim is to help you get through that emotional and challenging time of divorce and other family disputes. The mission of Brighter Day Law is to compassionately help families resolve their disputes with personalized legal representation while keeping the best interest of the entire family at heart. Their attorneys handle all kinds of family law cases, including child custody, divorce, high asset divorce, mediation, and allegations. Brighter Day Law, compassionate counsel in dark and stressful times, 225-4493 or at brighterdaylaw.com.